but doers also, right? That, that the Word of God should permeate and penetrate our life in such a way that it actually begins to transform us. Isn't that what the Word tells us? The Word says, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, we're, that our minds are changed, that we're transformed day by day, more and more into the glory, reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ. That they can see, that folks can see that through us. He called us to realize that we are all, all of us, are united in Christ Jesus, and that we're called to practice a love for one another. Not in word only, but indeed also. Because John would go on to tell us, if you can't love the brother in the same aisle you're sitting in, how are you going to love God whom you've never seen? That we can, and we will, and we are able, because Philippians laid out for us, as our brother so eloquently shared, I can do all things through Christ, right? Not most, not some. I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ who strengthens me. We want to be able to reflect that love to one another. We want the faith that we proclaim to be seen by our deeds, not words only. That's kind of James' thing, right? I, I, want, to, I want to be able to see that you love Jesus. I want to be able to see that you love your brother. I want to be able to see these things practically in our lives. And this is what he's calling us to. That we might grow up. That we might become mature believers. And how did he describe that? By learning to tame our tongue. By learning to tame our tongue. And that the actions of our tongue would show heavenly wisdom and not earthly. That not only has God permeated my life, but He's also changed the way I speak. The way I talk. The way that I think. And then He called us to do this. To put down our pride. And the more I study James, the more I think that our pride is what is in the way so often. That we would put down our pride. Why? Because God resists the proud. Now I want you to think of this verse. We looked at it last week. It says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Everybody remember the verse? Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Now this is what I want you to think of. That word resist is the exact same word that is used of God when it says God resists the proud. And sometimes that's me. Sometimes that's my pride hindering what what God desires, how God desires to work in my life. I I know that that God's going to push through, that God's going to work through it, but in those times when my pride is in the way, listen, God stands in, in, like, against me, like I'm supposed to stand against the devil. Isn't that wild? That's pride. How many ways pride can sneak in? We're to wholly submit ourselves to God in every possible way, and we're to wholly resist the devil in every possible way, not just with words, but with deeds also. And then last week we ended with this concept that we're supposed to keep God in His rightful place as judge. Not take that place from Him. He's the judge. We're in the docks. Not the other way around. God's not in the docks being judged by us. He's the judge. And when we do that, when we change places with God, when we put God in the docks and we start judging God, that is pride. When we struggle with submission to God, that is pride. And this morning, as we take a look at what the Lord has for us this morning, I hope that you can see the fingerprints of pride once again in the, in the Scriptures before us. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there, trade, and make a profit. It's the idea of making plans that we can't guarantee. Has anybody figured out that it's hard for us to guarantee plans? Anybody who very clearly saw themselves exactly where they are right now, a year ago or two years ago or three years ago, that we are, that we are achieving all of those plans? If you are, you know, I'll pray for you. 
And, and the reason I say that is because, man, don't get, don't get proud. Don't get proud like we have control, right? And in America, it's so easy, right? I mean, uh, um, if I want to do a business, there's a basic business plan I follow. If I do certain things, I should be able to be successful. But I have to be careful because I can start walking around like Nebuchadnezzar and pointing at my business and saying to God, look at the kingdom that I have built. And the God that I desperately know loves me beyond any love we can even begin to express for one another has to stand against me because of my pride. And how many of us is our Christian walk such a struggle because of that? He says... Plans we cannot guarantee. Why? Because our future perception, our perception of the future is wrong. The way we see the future. How is it going to happen? Why? Because we think we can control time, right? Today or tomorrow, I'll do such and such. But we don't have any control over time, last I checked. Last I checked, we, we, we try, we can make plans, I don't know, but we don't control time. We believe we're in control of what we do. I'll go to such and such a place, stay there for about a year and trade. I think I've got that under control. And then I think I'm in control of the results. And make a profit. We'll get ahead. Be able to pay the bills I need to pay or do the things I need to do. But here's the question. And this is the exact question that this text is going to ask us. Is that the purpose of our life? Is that it? He who dies with the most toys wins. He who builds the biggest business or takes care of his family the best or does all of those things. Is that the purpose of our life? Is it what God has for us? Look what he says in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, so we don't understand what's happening in the future. Listen to the question, the next few words. What is life? That's what he's asking us. What is your life? Is this it? Is this the thing? Is this the, the kingdom that I have built? Is it, is it, you know, spending 70 years and, and being thought of well by all of your neighbors and friends? Is that the goal of life? Where is it that our life is going? And in our plans and our pursuit of that life, do we remember? What a father told his son in the book of Proverbs. He said, son, do this. Whatever you do, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean into your own understanding. In everything you do, go to the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And let Him direct your path. Isn't that what wisdom is all about? First nine chapters of Proverbs, wisdom is all about personifying who Christ is. And what is that? What, just think with me, what did Jesus say to every one of His disciples? He said the same thing to them all. Come, follow Me. They were going to be fishermen. Right? The sons of Zebedee, the sons of Zebedee who, who had already a, a fishing uh, empire, so famous that there are pillars, if you go to Jerusalem today, that has their names written on it that were, are in synagogues dating back to the early church that say donated by the family of the Zebedees. Big business. But Jesus came to them. It's so beautiful because Jesus came to them. He'd already, they had already seen him when he was with John, being baptized with John. They had already experienced him. They'd seen John say, This is the one whom I told you, I'm not even worthy to loose his sandals. This is the, the Christ. Jesus goes into the, to the, to the wilderness and he's tempted 40 days, comes out, he goes out to Galilee, he walks over to a fishing boat. And he says, come follow me. 
And they just lay them down, lay down the nets and go. Do we ever think about how that life looks? Because that was a radical change of, of their plans, right? What, what their future was going to be, who they were going to be, uh, how things were going to work out. And, and did it just affect them? No, it affected their family and their extended family, right? All of them, because they chose to follow Christ. They said, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And I wonder when they were younger and they were looking at the empire that their father had built and that would one day be passed to them, if the future when Jesus came to them and said, come follow me, is different than what they thought it was going to be. And I wonder how many times in our lives that still small voice whispers in our ear, come follow me. And I wonder if I lay down my net Or if I'm so married to my plan, in my pride, I stay on the boat. Now, I don't mean to say that every call of God means that you're going to to have to change whatever you work. I'm just saying that, that there are times where God is directing us, where God is calling, where God is saying, Hey, I'm over here. And we may be doing the same occupation and some of the same things, but are we listening? Are we hearing His voice? Or are we shouting above that still small voice saying, God, listen to my plans. Listen to what I want to do. This sounds like such a great deal. And I, and I think I'll really be able to get a hold, uh, get ahead with my family and, and move forward. So God, won't you bless it? And my question, is that the same thing? Is that the same thing as hearing that still, small voice? Because this is the problem that we face, the reality, the uncertainty of tomorrow. I don't know what God's plan is for me tomorrow. I'll know when I get there. Maybe I'll know a little bit ahead of time. I mean, sometimes God lets me know ahead of time what's going on. Sometimes He don't. But here's what he's always consistently asking me to do. Come follow me. Well, how do you do that in a practical sense? What has James been asking us to do? What has he begun the book with? He said, be let out with joy. What does that mean? I'm in the presence of God. He's saying, if you lack wisdom, ask and it will be given to you. That the Son of God, wisdom incarnate in our lives to, to help direct us. He's asking us for our our relationship with God to be less about words and more about the reality of actually doing it. Because, because when those things are so, can you hear Him? If you're in the presence of God, can you hear His voice? If you're filled with the wisdom of God, can you discern His direction? If instead of looking at the trials in our life and, and seeing, God, why would you do this to me? Why are you allowing this to happen in my, in my life? And asking the wise God and putting God down in the seat as we judge Him for what we're going through. Would it be better to bow the knee to Him? I say, Lord, Your will be done. As we look to Him, we have to recognize we don't know what tomorrow holds. Listen to what the Scripture tells us about that. I just want to, in, in Luke chapter 12, there's an incredible story that Jesus told that I think has direct relation to what we're talking about. And, and hopefully we can see it. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13, it says, Someone in the crowd said to Him, Teacher, tell my brother to in, 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 divide his inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And then he said this, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That's like all the desires for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Remember how the the question that's asked by James, what is your life? Is it possessions? Is it stuff? Is it work? All those are good things. They're not in and of themselves evil. 
But the question that should be echoing in our mind is, what is my life? What do I live this life for? Look at what Jesus goes on to say in verse 16. So he told them a parable. And he said, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods. Laid up for many years, so relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Listen to the moral of the story. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Look. This is not about your money. God's not broken. He don't need it. That's not what it's about at all. When Jesus was asked, Lord, is it, is it right that we pay taxes? Do you remember what He said? Bring me a denarii. And He said, whose inscription is on this? They said, Caesar. What did He say? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. What did He say next? Render unto God the things that are God. Now let me ask you the question. The coin was in the image of Caesar. Who are you in the image of? God don't want your money. God wants you. Lock, stock, and barrel. All of it. Everything. And the amazing thing is, what He wants. Because... I don't know what you look at like when you, when you look in the mirror, but when I look in the mirror, I see it all. I know what I am. I know what I think. I know what I do. I know the things that, that uh, you know, should, should keep me completely out of any kind of relationship with God whatsoever. Yet in the, in the universe, there's God in heaven who says, I want you. Like that. I don't want the pretend you. I don't want the fake you. I want the real you. But I don't want the real you to stay just like you are today. So I want you, come follow me. Just lay it down. Come follow me. Go where I go. Love what I love. Hate what I hate. Just follow me. And how many times in my life do I let pride get in the way? Do I let pride get in the way? And, I, and it's so sneaky, pride. It's sneaky. It sneaks in, and the next thing I know, I'm being all proud. And I can feel this resistance from me toward God and from God toward me. Because now, like Peter, who said, Lord, you don't want to really go to the cross. What did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Just a minute before, he said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven has shown this to you, who Christ is, the Son of God. And then a second later, what happened to Peter? It's no different than what happens to us. What happened to him? It's not Satan came into his body. We'd all love to blame it all on Satan, but listen, folks, there's too many of us here. He can't be everywhere at once. And I'm pretty sure he's not in my house. He don't need to be there. I'm there. That's enough. My pride rises up just like Peter's. And what does God say to me? Get behind me. You're not of the things. You're You're not following me, Peter. You're trying to get in front and lead me. Don't do that. Stay behind him. He's the shield. We need to be behind his shield. We need to stand with Him and say, Lord, wherever you go. I love the book of Ruth because I love what Ruth says to Naomi. When she says, where you go, I will go. And where you die, there I will be buried. Your people will be my people. I'm in. I'm all in. And this is what James is is telling us. To just not let our relationship with God be words that we say and not things that we do. 
That we would say, no, I, I want to follow you, Lord. I want to make my plans. I want to be rich towards you. And it's not about giving God all my money. It's about giving God me, all of me. Not the, just the left side of me, not just the right side of me, not just the closet that's marked Sunday. He wants it all. Every part of you. You say, well, no, I don't want God to see this part. What are you talking about? He's seen it already. Yeah, no, don't forget about keeping a door closed. He sees right through them. Right. Don't he? And he loves you anyway. And I love that song we sang. I loved all the songs we sang, but I love the song we sang right at the end. I'm, I'm forgiven. God loved me so much that he came so that that could be erased, so that could be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that I could be made whole. That's accomplished when I come to Jesus Christ by faith. I kneel before Him and I say, wash me. And I stop trying to say how good or pretty or handsome or my pride gets in the way. we got to let that pride die. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now listen, please hear me. That's not about your money. It's not about the almighty dollar. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying this, are you spending all your time building bigger barns and filling it with more stuff? And you're spending this little bitty time over here on the side, this little bit of time where you are actually looking after following Jesus and what the things of God are all about. And he says, why are you spending so much time in all these other ways, building all these other things? Because one day you're going to stand in front of me and all those things aren't going to matter anymore. What is your life? What is it for? Surely it's for more than building up my bank account. Surely it's for more than all of those things. Maybe, maybe my time is better spent in the pursuit of God. In the pursuit of holiness. Oh, it's going to be a long pursuit. Right? But it's worth it. Because one day you're going to stand before God and a life pursuing Him will not have been wasted. A life pursuing Him. Put your treasures in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Don't you hear Him? Don't you hear Him when He's standing there before me? He's saying, Jackie, come follow me. And I have this incredible thing in my heart, this, this giant want her and it wants everything but jesus it wants everything else it wants whatever it can find here whatever it can find there i i i I chase it every summer i chase it every fall i you could never get me to walk up or down a mountain to save your life and then there's this hope that i could get an elk if i do it so friday i run as far down a mountain as i've ever gone because I start at the top. Because why on earth wouldn't you want to? So I run all the way. But the problem is, if you start at the top, where are they? In the bottom. If you start in the bottom, where are they? Thank you. That is a perfect parable of our pursuit in life. Because we can spend so much time chasing things just out of our reach, can't we? And all the while, God is saying, come follow me. Now, that's not to say that I can't experience that out on the mountaintop. That's not to say I can't experience it in my job. It's not to say I can't experience it in the pursuit of God. should permeate every avenue of our life. So whatever I do, I do all for the glory of God. Now my pursuit of God has permeated it all. You get what I'm saying? But when we look at this verse, what is absent is the pursuit of God. It's my plans. It's my pursuit. It's my hope. And the question from James, then what is your life? What is your life? 
For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What's he trying to tell us? Life is... Man, how many people know that? (sighs) Young people are going to figure it out. Man, life is short. It's picking up speed. And because of that, because of that reality that life is short... What is your life? What will you spend it on? It's going to have, you, you got a born on day and an end day. I don't know what it is. If, if, if you're my friend on Facebook, it'll tell me when it's your birthday. So I'll know you're born on day. But nobody knows the end day, do they? We don't know the end day. We don't, we don't know what, so, so then how do I spend today if I don't know? How do I spend tomorrow? What's my goal? What's my focus? What am I chasing after? Listen to what Job said in Job 7, verse 6. He said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to their end without hope. Weaver's shuttle is that thing that they throw or push through the, all the strings. You know, strings going like this, it's a sideways. You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't, I don't have the language. Uh, yeah, it's a loom. Good job. So he says, It's just like that. It doesn't take me no time to push that shuttle all the way through the other side, and it's over. That, that run is over. He's saying it's, it's as swift as that. Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I will be gone. It's all talking about the brevity of life. He's in the midst of suffering. He's in the midst of his pain. He's calling out to God and he's saying, My life is so short, it's so short, and here it's going to end in misery. Did Job know his future? Was his future going to end in misery? No. Was he in misery then? Yes. Yes, it was true misery. And that misery was orchestrated by a God who loves him desperately. And we want to take God and we want to take him from a judge and we want to put him down in the docks and we want to judge him. What do you do to Job, God? It doesn't make sense to me. And then maybe you can hear the voice of a father saying to his son, Son, in everything you do, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not into your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will guide your path. Son, trust God. Do I trust Him if I put Him down here? Do I trust Him if I leave Him where He's at and I bow the knee and I say, I don't understand. And my tears are real and my pain is real and that's all real. That's life. And Job is, he's crying out and he says, as the cloud fades and vanishes, so is he who goes down to Sheol. That's the grave. And he does not come back. When we die, that's it. He doesn't come back to his his house anymore, nor does his place know him anymore. A couple years after we're gone, nobody thinks about us no more. Man, our life is short. Psalm 39, 4-7 says this, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Let me know. So I take advantage of the time. Because you know, there's all kinds of time we can waste on a hundred different things and miss out on the blessing of a moment in a lazy boy chair with a baby sleeping on your chest. How do you know God didn't say, why don't you slow down and just lay here a minute? You're not on fire. To slow down and realize that the relationships that we have with one another is more important than the next buck we're going to make. And that sometimes a brother or sister needs an encouragement. Sometimes they need a touch. Sometimes they need a prayer. And will we be the one to, to offer? Man, I, I'm so guilty of being too busy. Of, of running to 
whatever the next fire is I think I need to put out or whatever the next thing is that I think needs to be taken care of. And I forget that what I came to, to Idaho to be about was a ministry was people. And connecting with them was more important than all the programs you could possibly string together. Do we know how short life is? How fleeting, how important how important to make. He says in verse 5 of Psalm 39, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Now I just want you to think for a moment. Think. Take your life. Our 70 years. Okay? If you guys are over 70, you're in the positive side. Good job. <clears throat> well, average might be 72. I don't know. But... But as we, as we look at that 70 years and we think about all the things we've done in that 72 years. Now, I want you to tell me, to the God who is eternal, how long was that? Was it that long? Because the Bible describes it like this. It's so quick. And God wants us to recognize. He wants us to see it. He says, Surely all mankind stands as mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing there in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Oh, now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Psalm 144, verse 3. O oh Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is so great about us and our time and the life that we spend and the life that we have? But look at verse 15, because now in James 4, he says the thing that we want to think, not our own plans, not our own schemes of life, but he says what we want to think about is God's purpose. Does God's purpose control your plan? Is it about Him? Because in verse 15, he says, instead you ought to say. You see it? Instead. The Greek word is anti, means in the place of. Instead of thinking that way, you should think this way. Instead of thinking, these are my plans and this is what I'm going to do, and we go running down that trail, he says, instead of thinking that way, now, what you ought to think is, if the Lord wills. It's about Him. Is it about the Lord? Because we don't got that much time. Is it about Him? Can I... Can I farm? Can I have a dairy? Can I have a business and run it that way? Yeah, I can. Can I be successful? I would say so. You've ever seen Abraham in the Bible? He didn't have no shortage. What's the things that mark him? Was he perfect? No, of course not. None of us are. As the Lord wills. God, what do you want? What do you have for me? What do you want me to do? And, and, and when we talk about God's will, and we talk about God's plan, there's two things that come up. One of them is we think it's so mysterious we can never know it. So I want you to know this. God wants you to know His will more than you want to know it. So it's not hard to know. Tell me what gets in the way. Yeah, stinking pride. Don't it? Stinking pride gets in the way. God wants us to know His will. He wants us to understand. If the Lord wills, this is what we'll do. If the Lord wills, that's what we'll do. Well, how can I know these things? James doesn't start in chapter 4, verse 15. James started in verse 1 where it said, Be led out with joy in the presence of God. Have the wisdom of the Lord in your life. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Let your faith have working clothes so that there's reality coming through your life. That, all of that comes before. So when you come to chapter 4 and he says, God wants you to know His will, you can know it's my pride's in the way, God. My pride's in the way, i got to put it down. So Paul would say, I die daily. Why? Because I want to get in the way of what God's doing. Man, I got better plans, I'm sure. 
I'm pretty sure that it should go like this and like this and like this and this is how it should be laid out. And I find myself taking God as judge and placing Him in the docks and putting myself in there as judge and looking at God and thinking, now this is how you should have done that. What do we call that? Pride. And where does that put God in relationship to me? God resists the proud. And I bang my head against that cold stone wall and it don't move. And I yell at God some more. God is eternally patient and long-suffering. And He will let me whack my head on that wall as long as I want to. Until the day I will say the words James is asking us to. Lord, Your will be done. Lord, Your will be done. What if God's ask, What if God's will is something you don't want to do? Is that even possible? Surely it couldn't be. God's will be something that I don't want to do? I mean, the Bible says, if I love the Lord with all my heart, He'll give me the desires of my heart. Yeah, don't flip that verse around. The first part's important. You love the Lord with all your heart, your, your desires in your heart will be His. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely true. And then you, just like Paul, may have a desire in your heart that burns so bright that you could just go to your countrymen, that you could just go to the Jews, and you could tell them, and you could prove to them through their Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, and you weep, and you cry over it, and God says, Paul, I need you to go to the Gentiles. Will you do what God wants? Will you just say, I, I'll do what you want, Lord? Because that's what Paul did. And I love it because of his obedience. You know where Paul started every ministry in every Gentile town he went to? Synagogue. Talking to who? Jews. Because, hey, that desire in Paul's heart, God, it was not that God didn't care about him. It's not that God didn't want him reach. He was sending 11 other guys to those places. He needed somebody who would go to the Gentiles. Someplace nobody wanted to go. He needed somebody who would not quit. Who would not stop. Who would not lay down and say, it's just too hard and I give up. And so he reached out of the throne of God. Reached down to a man on a trip to Damascus. And he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul turned around, bowed the knee, say, yes, Lord. Is it possible God calls us to do things we don't want to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, in, in Acts 18.21, listen to what Paul says. It says, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. You're going to see in all Paul's writing, my goodness, he says this 10,000 times. There's no shortage of verses. I could give you a hundred of them. I'll come to you if God wills. I really want to do it and I want to be there. But God's got to open a door. Because God was the one he was following, right? Doesn't the book of Acts say he tried to go one direction and God put a door in front of him and said no? So he turned and tried to go another direction and God put a door in front of him and said no? Then he had a man, I had a dream of a man from Macedonia saying, Come help me. And he went that way and said, That's the way God wants me to go. There, there it is. Didn't stand there banging on the door with his head. He said, I want to go where you lead me, Lord. In Acts 21, I love this, this time in Paul's life. It says, In coming to us, uh, Paul's gathered together. With, uh, with Philip in Philip's house. And a guy named Agabus comes to him. He's a prophet. And so in verse 11 it says, And coming to us he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So I believe that the Word of God is absolutely authoritative. Do you guys believe that? I believe if the Word of God tells me to do something, I should do it. And a lot of people read that verse and see in that verse God saying, don't go. But I don't see that. 
I see God saying, here's what's waiting. He doesn't say, don't go. That's all the Lord would have had to say. The prophet was absolutely right. This is absolutely what happened. When we heard this, we and the people, this is Luke together with him, urged him, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go. Paul, don't go. It's going to be, they're going to get you. Don't do it. Don't go. Do I want to follow God's will even if it's going to be uncomfortable, even if it's going to be hard? Don't go, Paul. Don't go. And so Paul answered, what are you doing? You're breaking my heart. He says, I am ready not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. Look at the next verse. Let the will of the Lord be done. What you will, God. Let the will of the Lord be done. In Acts 23, Paul is in a very low place. He's been arrested. The people tried to tear him up. It's right after the arrest in Jerusalem, right after they're binding him and doing all the things that they're going to do to him, as he becomes a prisoner for the next several years. And as he's in that place, very low, and he's he's weighed down, and he's not sure. I mean, did did I hear you right, Lord? Is this really what you wanted for me? It says in verse 10 of Acts 23, And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul was going to be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. And that following night, the Lord came to him. And he stood by him and he said, Take courage. For just as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem... So you must testify also in Rome. So God's going to have Paul stand before the most powerful man of the world and tell him the gospel. Are you willing to do what God wants to follow him where that leads? Because it's not always comfortable and it's not always easy. And the way I know what that is, is to put together the things that God's Word is challenging us in. In Romans 1.10, listen to what Paul writes. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may at long last succeed in coming to you. Guess what, Paul? You get to go. All expense trip paid. Spare no expense. Okay, maybe a few expenses say spared. But God got him there, didn't he? 1 Corinthians 4.19, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, I will come to you, what's he say? If the Lord wills. 1 Corinthians 16.7, he says, For I do not want to see you just in passing, I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. Look, who's in, who's in charge of our lives? Is it me? And God just tagging along behind me? Am I... Out there with my pride, leading him wherever I think he needs to go? Or have I put my pride down? Hebrews 6.3 says this, And this we will do if God permits. Listening to what God wants to do. Listen. Let God be in charge and take the pressure off. You don't have to think of all the right things to say, all the right directions to go you just need to submit to God and allow God to do the work that he wants to do but here's our problem guys this is what I think it is what's the value of my story compared to God's which story is more important my story my 72 years or whatever length it is that's a hand breath before the Lord or is it God's story is what God's doing Yet I don't want you to lose sight of this. God does care about your story. God does love us intensely. And He is supporting us. And He wants to support us. But our pride is in the way. And it needs to die. It needs to die. Because God is standing to resist our pride. My story, my story, will only reach its zenith, its perfection, in submission and support of God's story. My story will be 
perfect. It will be grand. It will be everything I dream of my story being only when my story is in support of his. Because his is a better story. Joab forgot about that. Joab loved David and he always did what he thought was right for David. And, and, but he lost sight of the fact that David's story was more important than his. I don't want to be like that. I want to know that God's story is more important than mine. And it's more about Him. And what does this do? What does this cause in my life when this is my attitude? When I recognize that I can have confidence in God's will. What does it do? It eliminates boasting. So where is boasting then? You boast in your arrogance, in your pride. All such boasting is evil. Boasting, the word for boast is the the idea of the medicine man standing on a corner trying to sell this medicine that doesn't do nothing. And every time somebody walks by, he sells it a different way. It's hair tonic. No, it's vitamins. No, it's snake bite oil. Whatever. That's the word boasting. It's It's trying to sell something that is empty. The word for evil is pain and affliction. Just emptiness. Just worthlessness. So what do we need to learn from it all? Listen, this is where we're going to stop. What do we need to learn? Don't lose context. It's so important right here. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, who's he talking about? He's talking to us. And, and so often we want, we want to run off and we want to talk about sins of omission and commission. Forget all that for now. Just stay in the context. What's he saying? Do you know what you ought to do? Do you know the pride that you ought to crucify? Do you know the things that are separating you from being the man or woman that God wants you to be? Do you know the things that you ought to do? Because if you don't do them, you're missing the mark. You're missing the mark for him. It is sin. So who is that man? The believer who knows that we ought to serve God rather than ourselves. Who is that man? The believer who knows our pride puts us in a position against God. Who is that man? The believer who makes his own plans and asks God to bless them. It's one thing to know it. And it's another thing to do it. For him who knows what he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. In Luke chapter 12, I just close off with what Jesus said. He said, The servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved the beating will receive a light beating. What's the point? Don't make too much out of it. It's a parable. Everyone to whom much was given, much is required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. To him to whom much is given. For him who knows what he ought to do. What's James' favorite thing? Not just words. Deeds. Don't be a hearer of the word only, but a doer also. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for the truth of your word, God, and Personally, I thank you for the work of your Spirit through the pages of Scripture calling me, Lord God, to hear you. As you ask me, Lord, to lay things down, I'm so reminded of David and and the opportunity that David had to to take and be given the the land and the property for the temple where he wanted to, to, to offer to the Lord And he told the man selling, and he said, no, no, I won't give God something that costs me nothing. It echoes in my heart 
But what stops my ears is my pride. God, I hate my pride. And I know that your word declares it. God resists the proud. Too much of my life has already been spent in a battle against you when I'm supposed to be following you. So help me lay down my pride. And may I echo the words of David that I won't give God something that costs me nothing. That I recognize from across eternity you love me and you knew this is how I am. My character faults aren't a surprise to you. They didn't come out of left field. God, you knew. And you, you bled for me anyway. Now, I definitely know I'm the one that held the nail. And I look to you, God, with a hammer in my hand. May my pride hang on that cross. And may I hear clearly your voice saying, Come follow me. You are forgiven. God, be glorified here. May your spirit move. Get past the hard, crusty outside and into the soft, white meat of our heart and break it. Because your word declares you are near to the brokenhearted. And help me stay that way. That my heart is broken over my sin, my pride, my filth. And that I know, God let me know, that you love me anyway. And you have more for me, better for me. And I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.